You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to the show, new to my content specifically, or coming over from my previous show, this is a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel. It's going to start in a couple of weeks. I promise. I know I've said that a few times. It is going to start soon. Uh, For those of you who are more visual, who like to search things on YouTube or just want to see what kind of podcast studio setup that I have, you will be able to see that very soon. Today's episode is another. It is the ninth. We are up to nine in our extensive player preview series, which takes a brief but thorough look at every player on Gonzaga's roster, details their basketball history, a look at their best and worst case scenarios heading into the 2021-22 season, and then in the third segment, we take a look at their expected role and production this year. We're up to nine. We've almost covered everybody on the roster. Super exciting. If you've missed any of them, check back in your feed. We started them in early October. There have been a couple every single week. Listen to each and every one of them before the season starts so you are fully prepped for things to get going on Halloween against Eastern Oregon, their first exhibition game of the year. Today's episode is dedicated to the next in a long line of excellent graduate transfer guards in Gonzaga's history. That is, of course, former Iowa State guard Rasir Bolton. Getting right into it. Bolton is well-traveled. That is that is the best way to describe him. The man played at five different high schools before he committed to Penn State out of high school. He went to Penn State for one season. He had a good year. He averaged 12 points. He was second leading scorer on the team. He only started nine games. I did a little digging on that. And the reason, for those of you who maybe missed this story, I don't think there's a lot of Gonzaga fans who follow Penn State basketball very closely. There's a lot of good reasons for that. But Bolton had an issue with co- with their coach. Pat Chambers was the coach. He's no longer the coach there. He'd made some controversial comments in his past already. He also had gotten in trouble for shoving a player during a game. And then he made comments to Rasir Bolton saying that he was hoping to, what he was trying to say was he was hoping to ease the pressure off of Bolton, who was feeling the strain as a true freshman who was one of the best players on the team. But the phrase that he used was to loosen the noose around his neck, which is not an advisable phrase to use when you're a a wealthy white coach talking to a 19-year-old black man. Uh, did not go over particularly well. Uh, the situation got a little ugly after that. Bolton obviously decided to transfer, justifiably so. Uh, he saw his playing time cut significantly after this, which was part of the reason why he only started nine games, even though he was their second leading scorer. He ended up going to Iowa State, spent two seasons with the Cyclones. Now, it is not because of Bolton, but the Cyclones went 14-42 and 42 while he was there. They were one of the worst power five schools in the country during these two seasons. And it's not because they were without talent. They actually had Tyrese Halliburton, who played for the Sacramento Kings, very good NBA player. Actually, uh, Hunter Salas, who we talked about in the previous episode, actually has drawn a lot of comparisons to Tyrese Halliburton. So take of that what you will necessarily. But Halliburton was really good. He ended up getting injured the first half of Bolton's year. And from there on, Bolton, the second half of his first season in Iowa State and his next full season, he was the point guard. And we're going to talk about that a lot more in kind of the second and third segments. Bolton's time at Iowa State, while his numbers were good and his production was was good, he was playing out of position. You talk to people who follow Iowa State closely. You talk to people who follow college basketball closely. The general consensus 
is that he should have been playing off the ball. And he was forced to play point guard on a team that didn't have a lot of talent around him. They didn't have a lot of shooters. They didn't have a lot of guys who could really who could do anything with the basketball. So he's forced to be a facilitator, which is a, not his strong suit. He's not that bad at it. And again, we'll talk about that later, but it's, it's tough to do when it's not your primary skill set. And it's even tougher to do when it's not your primary skill set and the players around you aren't very good. So it kind of forced him into this awkward situation. He still averaged 15 points, four boards, three and a half assists. He shot 42 and a half percent from the field at his Iowa state career, 33% from three. So not great in that regard, but also not terrible. I think we've, when, when Bolton has been discussed in the general Gonzaga sphere up to this season, I think one of the things that has been talked about him is, oh, he's a bad three-point shooter. And sure, he's not great at it, but I don't think that we should label him as like, you know, he's not awful. You know, 33% on a team where you're the best player and asked to be the focal point on offense, so you're not getting a lot of open looks. I don't think 33% is, is something we should really shake our head at. It was down to 31.5% in his last season at Iowa State, but even then, that's not good, but it's not the horrific levels that I think some people have maybe made it out to be when talking about Bolton. Beyond that, uh, he's an outstanding finisher at the rim, I think. When, when seeing him, you guys will see flashes of a guy who he puts his head down, he goes to the rim with tenacity. He's super, super aggressive, score-first type guy. Um, he committed to Gonzaga in April of 2021. Uh, that was when you know he shortly he wasn't on the transfer portal for very long. Gonzaga was connected to a whole bunch of different guards at the time, I believe. It was unclear what Aaron Cook's future was going to be. A lot of people were kind of hoping that Cook would come back for a fifth senior year or fifth year. He ultimately decided to come back to college, but he transferred and went to the University of Georgia instead. Bolton is a very different player, but I think will fit a lot of what Gonzaga really wants to do. It's a crowded guard room. We've talked about that a lot already with Andrew Nempard and Hunter Salas. And of course, we still have to talk about Nolan Hickman. We still have to talk about Dominic Harris. You have Julian Strother and Martinez Arlauskas in that mix as well. Ton of dudes, tons of guys who need playing time or are going to earn playing time on this team. But Bolton fits so much of what they really need out of the kind of player that I think he's going to be. He's again, they, they, they don't need another facilitator. I think he's going to fit really well with what they want. And that's, that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. That's a wrap on his history. He went to Penn state, went to Iowa state, lost a lot of basketball games, was asked to play a little bit out of position. Now he's here. He's on a team that's not going to lose a lot of games. His role is going to be reduced in the sense that he's not going to be the primary guy. Uh, let's talk about what it's going to look like for him, what the best case and worst case scenarios for him in his first and likely only season in a Gonzaga uniform. Before we get there, though, today's episode is sponsored by Sweatblock. Sweatblock is currently the number one selling product in Amazon's antiperspirant category, and for good reason. This doctor-created and doctor-recommended product is manufactured right here in the USA and comes with a dry shirt guarantee. That's right, the folks at Sweatblock are so confident in their product that if it doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So what are you waiting for? Big presentation coming up, job interview, first date? Give Sweatblock a try, and if it doesn't work, you get your money back. These wipes have been featured and tested on Rachel Ray's show, where firefighters give them a go and came out of it sweat-free. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed. The next morning, you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code LOCKEDON or at Amazon or your local CVS store. In the first segment, we talked all about Lucier Bolton's lengthy history, five high schools, two different universities, leading scorer on a Power 5 school that was very, 
very bad. Took over for a point guard who ended up playing in the NBA and is one of their young rising stars. It's been an eventful career for Rasir Bolton up to this point. Now he is with Gonzaga. He is going to play a major part on this team. And here in the second segment, we're going to discuss his best case and worst case scenarios. For those of you who are new to this segment, welcome. There's eight more in your feed. You can go check them out. I promise you they're all well worth it. But beyond that, I'm going to say the caveat that I've said for every other episode, which is that these are the best case within reason and worst case without injury. Uh, Every player's best case scenario is that they are the national player of the year. They win their positional award. They are a consensus All-American. They are a top five pick in the NBA draft. That is Without a doubt, everybody's best case scenario. It is not realistic for everybody. There are players on this team that those things are realistic for. We're going to talk about one of them tomorrow. Spoiler alert. We've already talked about a few of them. But for some players, that's just not the reality. Also, worst case, obviously for every player is that they get hurt. They miss time because their body breaks down. That is not worth discussing on this podcast. We're going to discuss the best and worst case scenarios as they could happen on the basketball court with regards to playing time and overall production. And we're not going to discuss best case scenarios that are outside the realm of what I consider possible. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm happy to be. But generally, these are set pretty far in the direction of best case and worst case. Let's get into it with Mr. Bolton. The best case scenario for Rasir Bolton is that he steps into a starting role. He plays alongside Andrew Nembhard and Hunter Salas, maybe, Julian Strother, perhaps, Dominic Harris when he's healthy, maybe, Nolan Hickman. There's so many options for how this starting lineup could work. But a best-case scenario for Bolton is that he steps into a starting role right away. Beyond that, the starting stuff, it is a best-case scenario, but it's not as important as his overall minutes per game. Best-case scenario for him is he's playing 20 to 25 minutes per night, maybe pushing 27, 28 minutes per night. The best-case scenario for Rasir Bolton is that he does what so many other graduate transfer guards have done in Gonzaga history, which is because they are no longer the guy, they're not being counted on to be the primary scorer, facilitator, ball handler, whatever, their efficiency numbers blow up. I've been calling this the Ryan Ryan Woolridge rule, which is hard to say, I just learned, but that's what happened with Woolridge. He was the main dude at North Texas for four years. He was the guy, like he was the best player on that team every single second that he was on the court. And so he got defended thus. And it was difficult for him. He didn't. He wasn't a great three-point shooter at North Texas, but he was a great three-point shooter at Gonzaga. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to expect that every player who's in a similar situation is going to come to Gonzaga and see their three-point percentage increase by 10 points. That's likely not going to continue to happen. It happened with Woolridge. He went from 32 to 42. But I do think it's reasonable to expect that players who are now the sixth, seventh, eighth option on their team as scorers, and when they're on the court, they're often the third or fourth option, that their efficiency goes up. It stands to reason. It's logical that that would happen. Plus, we have data on this. Bolton was on a better team at Penn State than he was at Iowa State. When he was at Penn State, his three-point percentage was higher. It was up to 36%. His field goal percentage was higher. His ability to finish around the rim was higher. All of that stuff was better when he was a true freshman and not as good when he was a sophomore and a junior. I don't think he got worse. In fact, I'm quite positive that he got it better as a basketball player. But those efficiency numbers came down because it's harder to be a super efficient scorer when you're the best player on your team and you're the guy that the opposing team's best defensive player is guarding. Their game plan is to stop you because they know if they stop you, they're going to win the game. That makes it more difficult to be an efficient scorer. Best case scenario for Bolton, because that opens up a little bit, because he's not going to be the best scorer on the floor when he's playing for Gonzaga, that allows him to be a more efficient scorer. The best case scenario for Rasir Bolton is he plays off the ball and he wreaks havoc by getting to the rim consistently. 
he's not going to be a point guard in this offense. I think there might be moments where he plays point guard, and that's totally fine. In a best-case scenario, he's more than capable of stepping into that role. But primarily, the point guards on this roster, in my mind, are Andrew Nembhard and Nolan Hickman. And Bolton is going to be let go as a wrecking ball on the perimeter. He's going to run some pick and pick. PNR. Let's try that again. Pick and roll stuff. And I think he's going to be good at that. They they run that high motion offense. So he's going to get some chances to run off screens and go around Chet Holmgren and go to the basket that way. But I also think he's just going to be a straight line driver who just goes to the hoop and catches a pass, catches the, you know, they, they swing the ball around. The defense is a little bit on their toes and he just goes. Now, one of his greatest strengths is his ability to draw contact. He drew contact at the same rate as Jalen Suggs last year. 4.5 fouls per 40 minutes. That's very, very good. Now, unlike Jalen Suggs, Rasir Bolton hit 84% of his free throws. He's never shot below 84% in a single season. He is going to be Gonzaga's best free throw shooter. This isn't even a best case scenario. This is just a fact, barring something, somebody else really stepping up in the free throw range or Bolton having a very uncharacteristically bad shooting season, which seems unlikely. He's probably their best free throw shooter. And the good news about that is he's really good at drawing contact. You want your best free throw shooter to be a guy who's good at getting fouled. And a best case scenario is that is constantly something that he is doing. He's drawing, he's going into the lane, he's drawing contact, he's finishing around the rim, whether he's getting fouled or not, and he's also knocking down his free throws. The best case scenario for Rasir Bold is he is a menace in transition. We talked about this with Hunter Salas. We were talking about it with we talked about it with Anton Watson. We're gonna talk about it with Chet Holmgren. This whole team is an absolute wrecking ball in transition. They're going to be so, so dang hard to stop, not just in the half court, but they're gonna get out and run and they're gonna be disastrous. Salas is going to throw down some thunderous dunks. So is Bolton. Hunter Salas will not be the only player who has dunks on ESPN top 10 this year. Bolton will too. He finished 27 for 33 at the rim in transition last year. That is elite, elite production. If he gets out in transition, he is a bucket guaranteed. I already touched on this, but the best case scenario for Bolton is that we do see some level of those playmaking skills. In a pinch, if we need him to be the point guard or to run pick and roll offense or do stuff like that, he's capable of doing it. I don't think they're going to ask him to do this very often because I don't think that they brought him over from Iowa State to be a point guard. That was He was miscast as that. While with the Cyclones, I don't think Gonzaga is going to have him do that. But in the best case scenario, his ability to do that shows and you see it and he's able to do it if necessary. Beyond that, of course, I already touched on this. The three-point shot is up. He shot 36% at Penn State. I don't think it's crazy to think he could shoot 36% here in a Gonzaga uniform. And for a lot of people who think that he's another guy who's not going to be an outside shooter, if he shoots 36%, that is excellent. That is really, really huge for this Gonzaga roster. They need experience. They need consistent outside shooting. If he can shoot 36% from three, that changes the dynamic for Gonzaga's offense in a pretty significant way. All of this leads to a situation where Bolton is a potential all-WCC player. He averages double-digit points per game. All of that stuff, I think, is well within the capability of what he's able to do, especially in a best-case scenario. What's the worst-case scenario? The worst-case scenario for Bolton is that he falls to fourth in that guard rotation. He's behind Andrew Nembhard. He's behind the two freshmen, Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. And that when Dominic Harris starts to come back from his injury, there's some real question about whether Bolton's going to continue to play. The way that this happens is he struggles as a playmaker. Bolton didn't have the greatest assist to turnover ratio when he was at Iowa State. And we talked about how that was likely due to struggling teammates and being the best player on the floor. But in a worst case scenario, he still struggles with that. He is a score first guard. 
That is who he is. And I think Gonzaga wants him to be that. But in a worst case scenario, you're looking at a guy who's a black hole. This is, this is in my mind, clearly the worst thing that could happen with Bolton is that he gets the ball and he puts his head down and he goes to the basket. And yeah, maybe the efficiency is pretty good. Maybe he draws a lot of fouls, but he's not looking to run the offense. He's not looking to get other people involved. He doesn't have the ability to kick a pass out or swing it around or any of that stuff. He's just looking to score. And in a team with so many other talented players, that's just not going to work. It's not going to fit well with what this team is trying to do if he's always looking to get his bucket. It worked at Iowa State for him. It didn't work for the rest of the team. Worst case scenario is that he struggles to to find that role. I don't think he's going to do it intentionally. I don't think he's selfish or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But his brand of basketball needs to be adjusted to be efficient at Gonzaga. And in a worst case scenario, he struggles to make that adjustment. Worst case scenario for Rasir Bolton is defense is a problem. You have to hide him on that end of the floor. He has to guard the opposing team's worst player. He he struggles on ball defense. He gets switched and, and struggles in that regard. I don't know a ton about his defense. The reports that I've read, the videos that I've watched, he doesn't stand out on that end. He doesn't look absolutely horrible. Reports say that he's average. I think he's probably average. But in a worst-case scenario, he's not. He struggles. And, and Gonzaga's going to play a lot of freshman guards, and freshman guards can sometimes struggle on the defensive end. And if Bolton is also not somebody that can be relied upon super heavily on defense, that could cause some problems against teams with multiple talented guards. Gonzaga's not playing a lot of teams with multiple talented guards. But if you recall, and I'm sorry to bring this up, one of the last times, or not one of the last time, Gonzaga played a team with multiple very talented guards, they lost. It can happen to this team. And in a worst-case scenario, Bolton is not somebody you can rely upon to play good, solid defense on that side of the ball. Beyond that, worst-case scenario for Bolton is, I kind of already touched on it, he's just not quite fitting. He's going to score well in transition. He's going to provide this veteran leadership. He's going to do all that stuff. But there's a razor-thin margin for being a player who plays a lot of minutes and somebody who kind of gets relegated to that eighth, ninth spot on the bench. And for Bolton... I don't think that's going to happen, but it's it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to all of a sudden be a guy who's like, oh, he's not quite in the rotation. He's sort of in the rotation, but he's not playing all that much. And a worst-case scenario, it may not be the worst-case scenario for the Zags. If he's struggling and they have other guys who can play, that's great. But the worst-case scenario for him is he finds himself right on the fringes of being a consistent contributor night in and night out. All right, best and worst-case scenarios have been discussed. We're going to come back in the third segment and talk about his expected role and expected production heading into his first season in Spokane. Before we get there, though, let's talk about rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. RockAuto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, RockAuto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced very recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all the parts I need makes things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and find all of the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Today's episode is also sponsored by Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. 
As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. With a newly updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts, and it is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, in the first segment... We discussed Rasir Bolton's history, how he ended up in a Gonzaga uniform as the next in a long line of very successful graduate transfer guards. In the second segment, we talked best case and worst case scenarios for Bolton entering the 2021-2022 season. Now, segment three. Most of you are used to this by now. It's the ninth one, but we're going to talk expected role and production for Rasir Bolton. Somewhere in the middle, as you would probably guess, between the best and worst case scenarios is where I expect Bolton to end up. My first prediction for Bolton, I think he's number seven in the rotation. I think you have your five starters, and I've said this before, but I will say it again. I believe the starters are Andrew Nimpart, Hunter Salas, Julian Strother, Chet Holmgren, and Drew Timmy. I think Anton Watson is number six. I think he's the first guy off the bench, and then I think number seven belongs to Anton Watson. Beyond that, I think Nolan Hickman is probably number eight, and then you have Ben Gregg-ish maybe in the rotation at number nine. It gets a little murky after that. Obviously, Dominic Harris returning from his injury will... Throw that up in the air even more. This team has a really good problem to have with so many talented players. But for me, I think Bolton's number seven. I think having Bolton and Watson come off the bench, either in succession or at the same time, just provides a new look for Gonzaga, just an opportunity to shake things up in a way that I think will be very productive. I do think Bolton's going to play 20-ish minutes per night, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe creep up towards 23, 25 minutes per night. There's a lot of talented dudes on this team. I'll say it again. Uh, and and so finding an opportunity to play, I mean, 20 minutes per night, 25 minutes per night is good on a team that has so much talent. I think he's not going to approach the levels that he played at Penn State or Iowa State, which is totally expected because those teams were not as good as this team. They did not have as much talent. And so you're going to see his numbers drip a little bit. But I think, like I talked about in that best case scenario, I think that efficiency is going to improve. It's hard to imagine that it doesn't. And it's not that his efficiency was like horrible at Iowa State. It wasn't great, but just the the situation is so different. And having a guy who is going to be more open, he's going to be guarded by the opposing team's third or fourth best defensive player in a lot of ways. It just creates so many different avenues. And like I said, we've seen this before, not just from previous Gonzaga guards like Admon Gilder and Ryan Woolridge and Gino Crandall and so on, but also we've seen it from Bolton. We saw him be a more productive scorer, a more efficient scorer on a better roster at Penn State. So we know he's capable of being that. It's just there's too many things that fit together to make it easy to predict that this is going to be something that improves for him. I think he's going to still be around 65, 66% around the rim. I don't think that's going to change all that much because I think he was already about as good as he was going to get in that regard. But I think we're going to see him be a little closer to 46, 47% from the field. And I'm hoping and I believe that we'll see him be up, creep up closer to that 35, 36% range from three. Again, he was down to 31.5% his second year at Iowa State. I think his first year at Iowa State, he was 32, 33, somewhere in there so. A jump up to 35-36 is not a huge jump, especially considering he knocked down 36% as a freshman at Penn State. So I think we're going to see him right in that range. He's obviously still going to be an elite free throw shooter. So less minutes, more efficiency, seventh guy off the bench. I don't think he's going to run the point 
all that often. I kind of touched touched on that a little bit already in the best and worst case scenarios. I don't think Gonzaga was identifying; they weren't prioritizing finding a true point guard. They have Andrew Nembhard. He's going to play a whole crap load of minutes this year. Nolan Hickman, who they did not have at the time, he was a late signee, is a guy who can play point guard. I think they were always planning for Dominic Harris to play some minutes at the true point as well. Now, I think Salas can play the one, and I think Bolton can play the one. He obviously has done it at a Power 5 school. It's crazy that a guy who was a legitimate point guard at a Power 5 school is not considered one of Gonzaga's top options to play point guard on this roster because they already have a point guard who is a point guard at a Power 5 school in Nempard, and these freshmen are just so dang good, and Dominic Harris is so dang good that they don't need him to be that, and he's not as good at that. So why not let him just be a menace on the perimeter? Be a guy who drives to the hoop with reckless abandon. Be a guy who gets out in transition, who runs the fast break, who can effectively run the pick and roll when they do their motion offense because he's done it before. Like, it's really nice that when if Nembhard can't get open, he hands it off to Bolton. Bolton comes around a screen from Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren at the top of the key that the guy who's got the ball, even though he's not the quote-unquote point guard, is a dude who's done it. He's done it at this level. Like, he knows what to look for. He knows how to run that kind of option. And it's just, it's going to be so great to have him in that role doing that stuff. Looking at overall statistical projections, I've been trying to avoid like straight up stat projections because I think it's a little silly. And I think there are so many things up in the air with this team that it's kind of hard to know. But I was doing some research on some of the other grad transfer guards. You know, we talked about Gilder and Woolridge. We talked about you know, Jordan Matthews, Gino Crandall, Byron Wesley, so-and-so, and kind of looking at the roles that those guys have filled. Gonzaga's obviously had a lot of success on the transfer market with very high-level players. Obviously, Dan Dickow is one of the most notable older examples. Nigel Williams-Goss is a more recent example. Like, those two guys came in as transfers and were dudes right away. Starting point guard, keys to the kingdom, you're the dude, like, go get it. But most of Gonzaga's transfers, particularly in the guard range, were, were, were role players. And Bolton is a role player. And I think it's very clear to say that. And I think some people think the word role player, the term role player is derogatory in some way or dismissive of a player's talent. And I don't believe that at all. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying it in any way like that. I think most players are role players. When you look at an NBA team, there's maybe two players that aren't role players on each roster. Uh, One, if your team's bad. Three, if your team's really good. But most of the time, everybody's a role player. And high-level role players are all-stars. You know, Draymond Green is a role player for for the Golden State Warriors. Like, he's just a high-level one. Dennis Rodman was a role player. He's a Hall of Famer. Ben Wallace, Hall of Famer, role player. i digressing. I could go on this topic a lot longer. But Bolton is going to be a role player. And most of Gonzaga's transfers have been role players. And when you look at their production and what numbers they put up in their one or sometimes two seasons in, Gonzaga, uh, at, in Spokane, I, I think you can see, you can kind of plug Bolton in and he's going to fit there a lot. The one that makes the most sense to me is Admon Gilder. And I cherry-picked some of his numbers because Gilder, he started the year as a starter. He played really well. Then he got hurt. And then he lost his starting job to Joe Eliai. And then he kind of, he struggled for a little bit, but then he found his role. He was coming off the bench. He was playing big minutes. And he really thrived in that role. The final 17 games of Admon Gilder's Gonzaga career, he played 26.4 minutes per game. He averaged 11.1 points. He shot 47.8% from the field and 35.8% from three. That right there is very similar to what I think Rasir Bolton's going to put up. 26 and a half minutes per game is on the high end of what I think he will average, but I don't think it's crazy, especially because, as I've said before, Gonzaga's going to play a lot of three-guard lineups. So saying, oh, there's four or five guys for only two spots is a little disingenuous because it's really three spots. We're going to see 
Bolton, Hickman, and Nemhard on the floor at the same time a lot. We're going to see, you know, Hunter, Nemhard, Bolton. We're going to see Hunter, Bolton, Hick. Like, there's going to be lots of different combinations of three guards all on the floor at the same time. So Bolton getting up to 26 minutes per night seems very believable to me. He's going to average double-digit points if he plays that much because he's just got such a score-first mentality. I think we're going to see those field goal percentage and that three-point percentage tick up. So... 11 points, 35% from three, 26 minutes per game. I'm not saying book it because that's pretty bold to just nail down what I think is going to happen before we've even played an exhibition game. But if I had to guess, that's kind of the range that I think we're going to see out of Bolton this year. And I think fans are going to really, really like him. He's tenacious. He's super athletic. He's not getting as much attention as some of the other guys, so he might come in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And he's going to have some of the best dunks and the best highlights this season. That I'm willing to put a guarantee on because I think he's that explosive and that athletic. And he's he's going to get a little bit ignored by opposing defenses because he's not the big-name guy. And I think that's going to allow him to really thrive in this offense. All right, that wraps up our ninth player preview heading into the season. Tomorrow's episode is the big one. It's Friday, heading into the weekend. You get to listen to 30 minutes about the unicorn, Chet Holmgren, right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and will soon be available on YouTube. Podcast links will also be on my Twitter account at Locked on Zags and my own Twitter account, which if you're not following it, you can find it at ScoreZagScore. Finally, thank you again for making this podcast your first listen of the day. It is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!